DiscerningHearts.com, in cooperation with Tan Books, presents Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. Dr. Thickpen is an internationally known speaker, best-selling author, and award-winning journalist who has published 43 books in a wide variety of genres and subjects, including The Rapture Trap, A Catholic Response to End Times Fever, and The Manual for Spiritual Warfare, the book on which this series is based. In 2008, Dr. Thickpen was appointed by the United States Conference of Catholic Bishops to their National Advisory Council. He has served the Church as a theologian, historian, apologist, evangelist, and catechist in a number of settings, speaking frequently in Catholic and secular media broadcasts and at conferences, seminars, parish missions, and scholarly gatherings. Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. Paul, thank you once again for joining me. Chris, it's always a pleasure. Thanks for having me. Now, as we enter into this understanding of what our weapons are in the spiritual warfare battle, it's really important that we appreciate and take care of our armor. Actually, this isn't protection on the outside. This is actually armor protection on the inside. And maybe it's the protection that aligns our hearts. It is, and our minds, too. You know, St. Paul talks about uh, faith as, and, and hope as, as a helmet um, that protects our minds from the kind of thoughts that the enemy gives us or our heart from uh, our, our will from choosing uh, the wrong ways. It kind of creates, I don't know, it's almost like we become bionic in some way. We, our heart becomes, uh, turns from, from flesh into steel, you know, to use a kind of a strange analogy, I guess. But, or even our mind, that, like you said, there's, it's as if there's a lining that goes around it. It's like a hel- helmet. And that's not just something we put on from the outside, but it becomes a part of who we are. In our present state, unfortunately, in our faith formation, that many of us can't even tell you what the virtues are, let alone know how to live them out. And I'm, that's not a judgment call. That's just a, it, it's a state of possibly poor catechesis. I think so. And I mean, sometimes I guess I meet a lot of folks who are not even sure what a virtue is. Or what a vice is, you know, they, especially vice, they'll confuse with sin. And I think, you know, that's that's an important distinction we need to make because a, a virtue, I think we may have mentioned in an earlier session, a virtue is a, a habit of good doing, doing well. And a vice is a habit of wrongdoing. And so that's an important distinction because it's it's one thing to, to fail, you know, on a particular occasion. It's another thing to fail at the same thing again and again, such that your heart actually begins to be shaped in a particular way. So that I think I mentioned before the the analogy of of a, of a dirt road that has ruts that develop in it from cars going down the same place, and eventually you try to drive down a road that's deeply rutted, and it's hard not to drive in the ruts because wherever you drive, there's the slope that goes down to the bottom of the rut, and you keep sliding back into it. So if those ruts are good ruts, they're uh, virtues, good habits, um, and and our habits are like ruts in the soul then it's great because it means that wherever we drive, we will tend toward driving in the right way in those good ruts. But if they're bad ruts, if they're virtues, they're vices instead of virtues, then it'll be even harder for us to stay out of the ruts. We will keep sliding back into them. So it's a much, it's a whole new level of, of power for defense if we have the right kind of habit, the virtue. But it's, uh, it's also a whole new level of struggle if we have the wrong kind of habits, the, the vices, because it's so much easier to slide back into them. Let's talk about that first theological virtue, okay? And it is such an essential one 
I think sometimes we say, yes, of course I have faith. But do we really? What's a real test for our faith, Paul? Well, temptation is a, a test for our faith, which is you know uh, what a large part of this the, the book, the Manual for Spiritual Warfare, is all about, uh, because that is the ordinary activity of the devil. To the, the church traditionally talks about two kinds of of faith. One is what we would call assent, assent, and that's the yes of the mind, where you say your mind says yes, I I believe that's true, I accept that as true. But there's a, a a second kind of faith, and that goes along with that for Christian faith, that is consent, consent. Um, and that's the yes of the heart, the yes of the will, that not only says, I believe that to be true, but that I want it, I embrace it, I desire it, I will choose based on that truth. And that's just an important distinction. Um, St. James, in his letter, you know, talks about, um, he says, you know, so, so you believe that God is one? Well, big deal. <laughs> I'm paraphrasing a little, but big deal. The demons believe that, and they tremble. And he's getting at the heart of that, that issue that I'm talking about, that it's not just enough to have assent, that the demons believe, have faith of that sort, that God exists and God is one and God is good and all those things. They know that, but it makes them tremble. Why? Because they don't embrace him, because they don't embrace that truth, because they hate that truth. They don't love it. And so we have to have the, the mental part, the yes of the mind, to understand what God has revealed to us about who he is and about what salvation is and who his son is and all those things. But in addition, we can't just know that it's true and accept it. Our will has to reach out. Our heart has to reach out and embrace it and say, yes, I consent to that. God, I know that you are true. I know that the truth will set me free. I want to embrace the truth. I want it. I want to live according to the truth. And that you know, that's a whole different kind of faith. And to do that, part of what you have to do is to embrace God himself, who is the truth. Our faith is not just knowing something or believing something. It's having confidence or trust in God himself. And, and that's why it's so powerful in spiritual warfare. Yeah, I've seen it like in the catechism of the Catholic Church and, and in the United States Catholic Catechism for Adults, which speaks of faith as a relationship, that God reveals himself to us, and, but it's not complete. It's not. It is something that requires a response on our part. So it's a God reveals himself to us, and then we trust enough to reveal ourselves to him. And it's a constant communication back and forth and back and forth, that relationship of love, which is much like the Trinity. Yes, it is. And it's, it involves knowledge. That's, you know, that's critical. We, how do we love the one we don't know? Uh, I think of that old song, I'm going to show my age now, but from the from the late 50s that had a refrain to know, know, know you is to love, love, love you. you know? But St. Augustine talks about that a great deal, that, that there's, a, there's an order of, you know, that goes on where we first we, we learn to know God and or we perceive God. And we, we see that he is good, that he's loving, that he's all these gracious, wonderful things. And seeing that, we know him and knowing him, we love him. And loving him, we take joy in him, we delight in him. And so that it involves all those parts. And if we try just to do a part, well, yeah, I'll love God, but I don't really know much about him. <laughs> it, it doesn't quite work so well. But if I, I know God, but I'm, you know, I'm not going to love him, that doesn't work either. We have to, it, it is this relationship. And that the process I'm talking about is actually a loop. You know, you learn something about God. You love that about him. It makes you love him. And that allows you to know him more deeply. And then you love him more deeply. And, and it goes on and on and on. It's, uh, it's not just a loop. It's, uh, it's a spiral upward. The more deeply we know him, the more deeply we love him, 
more deeply we love him, the more deeply we know him. Yeah, and that knowledge, how beautiful, isn't it, Paul, that we can learn so much and to trust in that and in his revelation to us through sacred scripture, but also sacred tradition. Part of the tradition, a lot of us think of it as oral tradition, just the tradition that's spoken, passed along, not in the scripture. But, but for me, tradition includes that sacred tradition, but also what I like to call enacted tradition. At a, at a very basic level, for instance, the early liturgy, there's no description of that anywhere in scripture. But they didn't just kind of tell people, do this, do this, do that. The apostles acted out the liturgy, and others watched and learned as they acted it out. And certain moral, the moral virtues we're talking about were demonstrated by the apostles and by the early disciples, and the next generation observed and imitated, and that's how they learned it. And so much of the, the tradition, especially when it comes to moral life in Christ, is enacted tradition. It's tradition that we learn by observing and imitating, which is why I have you know, the, the material in here from the saints, because not just the words of scripture, not just the words from, from sacred tradition, but this enacted tradition of men and women who love God with all their hearts and minds, soul, strength. And when we observe their lives, not just listen to their words, but observe their lives, we too learn that part of tradition. It's enacted before us, we imitate it, and it changes us, it transforms us. Well, faith is our shield. Now hope, it's our helmet. Isn't it interesting how hope would be the thing that would cover our heads? It is. And you know, the, I think the temptation to despair is a, is a very powerful tactic of the enemy. Because if we lose our hope for salvation, we open our minds wide to all the poisonous thoughts that the enemy seeks to plant there. So if we should ever conclude that we have no hope of winning the battle, we'll probably say, well, why should we even fight? So, so hope is a helmet. It's also an anchor. St. Paul talks about it in different ways, but, but it is a helmet. If you, and part of that, again, is this confidence in God. That Yes, I know my failings, enemy. <laughs> you don't have to recite them all the time. I know my past. I know all the ways in which I have fallen short of the glory of God. But I know my God, and I know that he is the God of all hope, as St. Paul puts it, that his desire is for me to live with him forever in joy and in glory with him. That's his desire, and I know that there's nothing that can come between me and the love of Jesus Christ. Nothing, including you, enemy. Because I have that hope, I resist you. The source of our hope is comes from him, comes from God. It wasn't too long ago when, even in our own nation, the United States, where we had a collective cry that uh, certain politicians, well, they'll give us hope. Or they look to certain people, they'll give us hope. And that, that paradigm, that can be very dangerous if we look to others or other things to provide that type of hope for us. It is, because in the end, uh, you know, no matter how wonderful a political leader may be, they're still only a human being, still only a man or a woman. They don't have the infinite power and the infinite wisdom and the infinite love that our God has for us. There really is no hope outside of him. I, you know, I've mentioned, I think, in some of these sessions before that I several years as an atheist as a teenager, and I know what it's like to live without hope. I know what it's like to really be convinced at the center of who you are, that there's no life after death, that there's no God in, in heaven who's in control, that what you, you know, all we see is what we see is what we get. <laughs> and um, that's, it's, a terrible, it's a terrible way to live. But when I did come to the conclusion after the Lord knocked on the door of my heart in so many different ways, um, that he really was alive and that he loved me and that he had sent his son to save me, it was a whole new life, oh my goodness, to finally have hope. The breastplate covering the heart is love. How wonderful is that? We talk about love, and, and in another place, St. Paul says righteousness. And of course, that's really the same thing. Um, righteousness means right, rightness or right-relatedness. 
And righteousness means being rightly related to God and rightly, rightly related to ourselves and rightly related to others. And, and that's, that's what love is, to, to have that kind of right relationship. So, because Jesus taught us that to be rightly related to God is to love him with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength. And to be rightly related to others is to love them as we love ourselves. So it makes sense that he would say righteousness or charity or love is really the same thing, that it's, it protects the heart, which is the symbol of the will, that center of our soul that makes choices for or against God, that makes choices for or against others. And although in our culture we tend to think of love and as just a feeling and the heart is just a matter of feeling, but, but biblically and traditionally in Christian thought, it, it includes feelings, of course, but it's all about the will. It, it has to do with our choosing right and good over wrong and evil. When our love for God and for others grows cold, our, our hearts wither, and, and we lose the resolve, the armor that strengthens us in making the right choices. So no, you know, no wonder he uses this image, St. Paul. When, when love is lost, the enemy can take deadly aim straight for the heart. It's so important for us to appreciate that love is such a wonderful gift that's poured out to us that that ultimately, when it is poured from us to others, can be the thing that can heal and to help others, especially in the in this battle, because the enemy would want us to hold back our love, wouldn't he? Yes, of course. He he detests love. <laughs> he's, I, I'll keep returning to C.S. Lewis, I know, but in, um, he's such a wonderful Christian writer. When when he wrote in the Screw Tape Letters, uh, some of his best insights, I think, are when he has the portrays the senior demon as talking about. Um, about God and and about Christians and and saying you know how, about God how how does He love these little slimy little creatures <laughs> you know I cannot understand that I just don't understand how He can love these little these creepy little things and um and I think in the first chapter of John I've always loved the the passage in the prologue of John so important where it says and the light meaning Christ shines in the darkness and the darkness has not and then there's a particular Greek word there that sometimes gets translated overcome it. Um, but the word can also mean comprehend it, just because comprehend means basically to, to use a modern image to, to wrap your mind around. That's what comprehend actually means. And the, the Greek word has the image of an ambush where you're surrounded, and, and that's how you overcome someone. The enemy cannot even comprehend love. He has fallen so far, his mind and his heart have become so distorted that he can no longer even comprehend love or to understand it. And, and that's one reason why it's, it's, it's so important for us. He, when we love against all of his expectations, we love those who are unlovable, when we learn to love ourselves despite our past and what we've done, uh, when we love God even when circumstances seem to, you know, would seem to suggest that he's abandoned us, it, it throws confusion into the enemy's camp. He doesn't know how to handle that. He doesn't understand it. We'll return to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen in just a moment. Did you know that Discerning Hearts has a free app where you can find all your favorite Discerning Hearts programming? Father Timothy Gallagher, Dr. Anthony Lillis, Monsignor John Essef, Deacon James Keating, Father Donald Haggerty, Mike Aquilina, Dr. Matthew Bunsen, and so many more. They're all available on the free Discerning Hearts app. Over 3,000 spiritual formation programs and prayers, all available to you with no hidden fees or subscriptions. 
Did you also know that you can listen to Discerning Hearts programming wherever you download your favorite podcasts, like Apple Podcasts, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Spotify, even on Audible, as well as numerous other worldwide podcast streaming platforms. And did you know that Discerning Hearts also has a YouTube channel? Be sure to check out all these different places where you can find Discerning Hearts Catholic Podcasts, dedicated to those on the spiritual journey. The Memorari Remember, O most gracious Virgin Mary, that never was it known that anyone who fled to thy protection, implored thy help, or sought thine intercession was left unaided. Inspired by this confidence, I fly to thee, O Virgin of Virgins, my mother. To thee do I come, before thee I stand, sinful and sorrowful. O Mother of the Word incarnate, despise not my petitions, but in thy mercy hear and answer me. Amen. Hello, my name is Deacon Omar Gutierrez, and I want to ask you to support Discerning Hearts in a special way. We, Chris McGregor, the board, and I all know that not everyone listening can help financially. We know we have listeners from all parts of the world, and we have made a commitment since the beginning to make the truths shared through Discerning Hearts totally free. So while you may not be able to contribute financially, what you can do is certainly pray, but also give us positive reviews on whatever platform you use to listen to us. If it's iTunes, Android, Stitcher, Spotify, however it is that you get these podcasts, or if you're on YouTube and you like our videos, please give us a good rating and write a review. The more good ratings and reviews we get, the higher our profile, and the more listeners will discover us listeners who may have the means to contribute in the future. Please consider rating us and writing a positive review today. We now return to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen. Paul, there's another part of the armor that is essential for us to really understand its true definition, and that's truth, truthfulness, and how that's used as part of the armor. It's very interesting. You know, if I were just to had sat down one day and was trying to, uh, to think, all right, let me make some analogies. How, how would I describe the virtues as, as pieces of armor? This would not have been my first thought, that truthfulness is, girds our loins. Um, and yet, Given that that's in sacred scripture, you you take some time and you think about it and you begin to realize what's going on here. St. Paul says, truth girds our loins, and that's the intimate part of our inner selves that's so easily led astray by blinding passion and by the enticement of the devil. So we have to seek the truth and we have to live the truth about what it means to live and love rightly if we're going to resist the father of lies in this regard. The apostle says in another place uh, about the armor of light. The Christians, uh, he says, and, and Christians in Rome are to put on, rather than succumbing to the dark vices of our physical appetites, he says, let us behave becomingly. And so this is, you know, this is so important. It's especially for our culture where the loins, figuratively speaking, are you know left exposed all the time. That for us to control ourselves. So I mean, this is in another way. Another way, it's really talking about the, the virtue of self-control. That where for self-control to to become a virtue for us, we have to understand the truth and embrace the truth about who we are and how we're made and what 
is in the end for our good and what in the end will destroy us. We live in a culture, Paul, you know that, and, and maybe it's not even just our culture, maybe it's the world today as a whole that defines truth depending on where someone is emotionally or what someone desires today. To understand truth as something that is grounded in bedrock, that that is very difficult for people to hear. It is. Truth is is uh, just another name for reality. You know, I used to tell my, my theology students in college that um, the, the root word for truth, if you go far enough back into the Indo-European languages, is related to the root word for tree because it's solid and it's rooted. And I always tend to think I'm from the, the South Georgia coast where we have these huge oak trees. Sometimes some of them are 300 years old. They're just massive <laughs> and they don't move. Um, I used to live on a street where, unfortunately, when I was a kid, young men would go drag racing late at night on, on Friday and Saturday nights. And they would choose our road because it was long and straight. But then uh, after about a mile, it would hit the river and it would begin to wind around. And, and on the cur- in the middle of the curves of the road were these massive oak trees. And again and again, unfortunately, those boys would they'd be drag racing, and then they would hit the curve. It would be too late, and one of those trees, would go, one of those cars, would go right into that oak. What do you think gave way, the tree or you know the oak <laughs> or the car? Well, the tree didn't move, but the the car was smashed up, and and that's always such a powerful image for me that truth is like that. Truth is reality, and I mean it's it's like the law of gravity. You can deny it, you can throw yourself against it. But in the end, the truth won't change. It's, it's you who will be broken. You'll be broken against the truth. Just like, um, you know, it was said to St. Paul by, by our Lord, uh, why are you kicking against the pricks or against the spikes? There are different translations of it. Truth was this hard, sharp thing. And St. Paul didn't want to accept it. He was kicking against it, but it didn't hurt the spikes. It didn't change the spikes. It only hurt his feet. Speaking of feet, we have to protect our feet. And that seems kind of a, like an odd thing to put armor on, but it's it, crucial, isn't it? Well, if you've ever had to walk barefoot <laughs> on some rough terrain. Or I've had a broken foot. Yes, I've I've had my foot broken before. Yes. <laughs> okay, that too. If you ever had to you know, but walk on a tough terrain, oh my goodness, you realize how, how important the shoes are. Even, you know, I grew up on an island on the Georgia coast there, and uh, you walk through the sand where there are what we call sand spurs. They're these little kind of thorny things and oh my goodness if you know you don't want to go barefoot there because it's your feet are so important and and what he says is that the what we put on our feet like sturdy military boots is a readiness for the gospel of peace and there's so much in in that i you know, only spent a short space in the book about it but you could go on and on we we have to be wherever we walk we have to be prepared to bring the good news of salvation of peace with god to everyone we may encounter and how is that related to spiritual battle? Well, by winning the hearts of others to our Lord, we're doing spiritual battle. We're helping, helping to rescue the captives of the enemy. And, and when we seek to share our faith in this way, the devil will try to turn us back. He'll, he'll scatter across our path like rocks and thorns, a wagon load of doubts and accusations of inadequacy and fear of conflict and rejection. But if we put on these boots of readiness, he talks about, if we prepared ourselves through faithful study and prayer to share the gospel, then We'll walk over those obstacles. We'll crush them as we go. I so appreciate that the last virtue you cite is critical in spiritual warfare. It really is. And it's the Our Lady 
even one of her titles embraces this virtue, Queen of Humility. It is so important. And, you know, I mean, I could have, there were so many virtues I could have written about in the book and finally decided, okay, I've got to draw the line somewhere. So I, I had, what I did is I, I just worked with the ones that St. Paul specifically mentions. But of course, there are all kinds of others that we know, things like prudence and, you know, like that. But humility is so very important. It's uh, the church fathers and, and especially the fathers and mothers of the ancient deserts used to say that humility is like the soil in which all the other virtues grow. And and St. Paul tells us in Philippians that through the humility of Christ, the devil was defeated. And James tells us that if we want to be exalted by God in victory, we too have to humble ourselves. So it's just there on and on again. St. Peter tells us to clothe ourselves with humility toward one another. And it goes on to warn us. Why? Because our adversary, the devil, goes around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Humility keeps us from dangerous high places where the enemy could tempt us to, to pride and vainglory. Humility isn't necessarily about humiliation, is it? No, I've often, you know, I've often said, I heard it said by an old Pentecostal Bible teacher one time in my youth that, that one way or another, God wants to help us become humble. So we can either humble ourselves or we'll end up being humiliated. <laughs> but if we willingly cooperate with our Lord, um, humble is, it's related, the, the English word has its roots in the same, uh, the same roots that the word humus has. So it has to do with the soil, with, with being lowly, with being uh, close to the ground. And I think if, if you look carefully at Scripture and at Christian tradition, uh, humility isn't you know, humiliation, and it's certainly not uh, kind of a false modesty. But humility is, is having a realistic view of ourselves, uh, number one, so that where we really do fall down or where we lack or where we're weak, we, we recognize that. Um, doesn't keep us from recognizing the things where, where we're gifted. But in that second case, um, a part of humility is recognizing, as St. Paul said, that there's nothing we have that we weren't given. And so a true humility, has a we have an accurate view of ourselves. And in those areas where we are strong, we're able to say, and that was a gift. You know, I didn't come up with this on my own. I didn't merit it. So I may have cooperated with God for it to happen. But, but in the end, everything I have is from him. And, you know, and, and that's what humility is about. I don't recall if we talked about this in an earlier session, but I, I love the stories of the, the ancient fathers and mothers of the desert, the, the forerunners, the big folks who began the ascetic movement, monastic movements. And there's this great story of a, of a very humble monk who's praying alone in his cell and uh, a demonic power, a, a fallen angel falls up, uh, uh, shows up and he's, you know, pretends to have great glory and he's shining. As scripture says, he, he looks like an angel of light. And he says, I'm paraphrasing, but some of the effect of, oh, great and mighty one, you know, the wonderful one, I'm here, I have a message from heaven for you. <laughs> and the monk is so humble, he doesn't even look up and just says, that can't possibly be, be me, just go into the next cell, maybe it's that guy. <laughs> and, the, and the demon is so frustrated that he's, he's kind of like the old curse is foiled again, you know, and he disappears. He can't catch him, he can't hook him. There's no place for him to hook him because his armor of humility uh, keeps the hook from going in. He doesn't have any way to to, to seduce him um, because of his humility. It's so unfortunate in the church as a whole, and I'm not just speaking about the Catholic Church, I'm speaking about all those who profess the Christian faith. How many have we seen that have fallen, Paul, because of a seduction to spiritual pride, which is so counter uh, humility? Those who seem like such great shining lights, only to, to watch them so sadly uh, fall from the sky. 
And I think that's the key. I mean, we often will you know, attribute it more to lust or something like that because of the kinds of sins committed. But I, but I think what what typically happens is that the leader begins to uh, presume that they're they're safe, that they're protected, that they they do have the virtues they need to resist these temptations, and so maybe they allow themselves to get into into situations, to occasions of sin, um, and find out they weren't as strong as they thought they were, or they'll They'll be blinded by pride. That's one of the things Scripture talks about. We did, we can't see aright when we're proud, and uh, and with pride, then it, we we don't see ourselves aright. We don't see others aright. We don't see God in the right way, and we we're blinded to the enemy's traps. It was our Lord, of course, who said that, uh, "Imitate me, be like me, for I am meek and humble of heart." It is, and he could say it, you know, without being proud, because it was true. Like I said, to, uh, humility is is a part, of, a major part of humility is is having an accurate view of yourself. And it was true that he was meek and humble. He, he came down from heaven, laid down his glory, so that he could be here. And um, I don't think anybody accused him of being arrogant. They thought maybe blasphemous because he he claimed to be divine. But but even in his humility, even though he was God in the flesh, how many times did he too point to the Father and say, "I can't do anything unless the Father's doing it." works I do, I do because of the Father. I, I don't say anything unless I hear the Father saying it and, and his total dependence on the Father. So what, and that way too, what a beautiful example of humility he is. That's why it, it's imperative, especially those who feel that they are experiencing a raging battle in spiritual warfare, that they remember that type of humility to go to the Father, to go to the sacraments, to allow all those elements in graces and God's mercy to come in and protect, be open to that and not feel that you have to be uh, out there like a lone ranger. That's so important. And, uh, and to have people around us that will tell us the truth <laughs> about ourselves. It's uh, sometimes, you know, people who become famous or well-known and popular, it's so easy for them just to surround themselves with, with lackeys, you know, for lack of a better term, with people who will just be an echo chamber back to them of everything they think and want to do. But to have uh, real friends and real wise people around you who can, can be like Nathan the prophet was to King David, saying, you are the man. You know, this, is, this is something you need to, to recognize and repent of. Well, that's the armor. At least that's just some of the armor that we're provided, isn't it, Paul? It is, and so I, I encourage our listeners to to go find a you know master list of virtues. <laughs> you can because uh, there are of course other virtues that, but these are just the ones that Saint Paul mentions, and then humility again because it's so crucial throughout um, the whole scripture. But to think about all all the virtues that you can, and uh, you know the self control, wisdom, uh, prudence, discretion. Oh, that's a, that's an important one. Oh my goodness, taming the tongue, uh, learning discretion. Uh, that's that's one most of us in our culture really need to learn, and in each one of them, not just to think about what what is this virtue and what is its opposite vice, but to ask how does it play a part in spiritual warfare? How can how does this vice make me vulnerable, make me trip up, uh, tear my armor, put a hole in my armor, and how does this virtue repair the armor? How does this virtue protect me? And I, and I think it's a very fruitful kind of um, exercise, a reflection. Look at all the virtues you can think of in light of spiritual warfare. Excellent advice. Thank you so much, Dr. Paul Thigpen. Thank you, Chris. God bless you and all your listeners. You've been listening to Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thigpen. To hear and or to download this episode, along with 
hundreds of other spiritual formation programs, visit discerninghearts.com or download the free Discerning Hearts app. This has been a production of Discerning Hearts. I'm your host, Chris McGregor. We hope that if this has been helpful for you, that you will first pray for our mission. And if you feel us worthy, consider a charitable donation, which is fully tax-deductible to help support our efforts. But most of all, we hope that you will tell a friend about discerninghearts.com and join us next time for Put on the Armor, a manual for spiritual warfare with Dr. Paul Thickpen.